Before we start the program, I want to introduce you to an event that's coming up this August. The Loma Linda Institute of Worship is offering a worship leadership certificate to help leaders and pastors take their congregation's worship experience to the next level. This August 9-12 through 12 event will include presenters Randy Roberts, Adriana Pereira, Nicholas Zork, Wayne Buckner, Richard Hickam, and more, and provide the opportunity to perform on stage with Steve Green and the Heritage Singers. Come sing, pray, write new music, share testimonies and resources, and grow together with like-minded worship leaders from across the world. Go to LLIW.net to register. We begin today with the central thought. Here's the central thought for today, which I have chosen and adapted from the words of the French poet and writer, playwright, Jean Cocteau. Here's our central thought. If you allow the mob to choose for you, the mob will always choose Barabbas. If you allow the mob to choose for you, the mob will always choose Barabbas. My question is, why? Why is that the case? As you know, we're on a journey, a journey toward Calvary and the empty tomb on the other side. A journey called Eyewitness, first-hand stories from Christ's passion. We began last week by peering through the eyes of Caiaphas, the high priest, the ruthless witness. And while we listened to and experienced Caiaphas, we came to learn that there's only room for one as the sovereign of your soul. And so you have to choose Christ or Caiaphas. King Jesus or King me? Today, we linger outside the cell of a condemned criminal. His name is Barabbas. It's an interesting name, curious name. It comes from two Aramaic words, Bar, meaning son, and Abba, meaning daddy or papa. So the name literally means son of Papa, son of the Father. Somewhere in the past of Barabbas, when he shrieked and squealed his way into the world, there was a beaming father who held him, cradled him to his breast and said, Ah, this is my son. This is my boy. This is my son. Barabbas. Son of Papa. And the name stuck. And so that's who he is. But now this son of Papa, this son of the Father, is a condemned criminal. He crouches in his cell, angry and arrogant. And yet as we leer at him, as we peer at him more carefully, we can see that in the darkness he does twitch nervously at the sound of the ringing of the hammer and the sawing of the saw as the final touches are placed on that cross, that third cross. He and two of his compadres are about to be crucified. And we have to wonder, as we linger there outside of his cell, we have to wonder about that father. Is that father, the father to son of Papa, 
Is he hiding somewhere, humiliated, ashamed, that his son has been arrested as a criminal and is facing execution? Embarrassed? Likely not. Because you see, Barabbas was no common criminal. He wasn't out holding up banks and robbing convenience stores and breaking into houses. That wasn't his method, his modus operandi. In fact, to get a sense of what Barabbas was all about, I go to Mark's gospel, Mark's gospel, the 15th chapter and verse 7. I want to read to you there just one verse from Mark's gospel where Mark gives us a, a, an insight into exactly who Barabbas was. Mark 15, 7 says this, A man called Barabbas was in prison with the insurrectionist who had committed murder in the uprising. We need to pay attention to a couple of words there in that text. In fact, I'm going to read to you what some scholarly resources have to say about these words. First of all, the sense of the word insurrectionist in that verse we just read. Here's the sense of the word. A person who takes part in an armed rebellion against the constituted authority. In fact, one New Testament scholar, Robert Mount, says the meaning of the word is a partisan, a rebel, a revolutionary. That's the first word. Second word is the word at the end of the sentence. Uprising? Here is the sense of that word. An organized opposition to authority in which one faction tries to wrest control from another. He's no common, ordinary criminal. No, he's a revolutionary. He is bent on dislodging the occupiers, the colonists who have invaded his land and have taken over. He's standing up for his people. That's Barabbas. But just how deeply is he involved? Mark gives us clearly to understand that his involvement is is there, it's clear, it's personal, but Luke actually gives us an even closer insight into what's going on in the life of Barabbas. I want to read one verse from Luke's gospel. Here's what Luke says, Luke 23, 19. Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Luke says his hands are bloodstained personally. He wasn't just a participant He was responsible. Almost certainly the blood that he had shed had oozed from the veins of a Roman or a collaborator. So at the least, he was involved. At the most, he was responsible. That's Barabbas, outside of whose cell we linger. Now, as we linger there, we are aware, swirling in our minds is an awareness of six different realities which make this issue and this situation not only deadly, but also very complex. Six realities. Reality number one, the Romans are done with Barabbas. Done. Finished. Crucified. Get rid of him. Rome will allow no challenge to its authority. They're done with Barabbas. Reality number two. The religious ruling elite in Jerusalem, the religious establishment, 
they're done with Barabbas. Barabbas has to go. Remember the cozy relationship between the priestly class and the Romans. The Romans said to them, you keep the peace there and we'll allow you to have your religion, allow you to have your method of income, your control, your power over the system. And so the priestly class, in deference to Rome, were opposed to anyone who might be fomenting rebellion, as was Barabbas. So the religious ruling elite in Jerusalem, done with Barabbas. He had to go. The third reality, complicated matters. Because as we stand there, we're aware that as of last night, late last night, there's another prisoner, another prisoner with whom the religious ruling class is finished, done. He has to go. His name? Jesus of Nazareth. That's the third complicating reality. The fourth reality is this. The religious ruling class, the religious establishment, is keenly aware that in order to be done with either one of these, they have to have the sign-off of the Romans, in this case, Pilate the governor. Now, he's already signed off on Barabbas. Barabbas is done and finished. They've taken care of that. But now this new prisoner, Jesus of Nazareth, they are not nearly as certain about him. He is extremely popular with the people. But what likely worries them more than anything else are the kinds of comments that this Jesus makes that may not be of concern to Pilate. You see, Jesus makes comments like, my kingdom is not of this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. Will Pilate see that as a threat? Not likely. So while they've secured anything they need to with Barabbas, this other prisoner, that's a problem. Fifth reality. Fifth concern. But it may be to their advantage. It's Passover. At Passover time, Pilate does something to try to, to ingratiate himself with the Jewish people. You see, Pilate was on thin ice. He had angered them, enraged them before. Things had not gone well. In fact, things will continue to not go so well to the degree that soon Pilate will be recalled to Rome. But in an attempt to curry favor with the, with the Jewish people, it appears that Pilate developed a custom at Passover, a Paschal pardon. A Passover pardon. He would allow the people, the crowd, the mob, to choose one prisoner, maybe one who was a favorite, maybe one who had been against the empire, and allow them to make that choice, and then that prisoner would be set free. The religious elites knew this. They knew that was likely coming. And so they were already at work behind the scenes to make sure whatever happens, whatever we do, whatever is allowed, whatever is the outcome, it cannot be Jesus of Nazareth. Cannot be. 
We have to choose anyone. Barabbas over the Nazarene. They're already at work behind the scenes. That's the fifth reality. And the sixth reality. They're at work behind the scenes. Those religious elites, that religious establishment, would have been keenly aware of the fact that the common people, the ones who flocked to Jesus in the hordes, who were always at his feet, the common people who heard him gladly. When they came to Passover, they camped outside the city of Jerusalem. It's all they could do, all they could afford, the places where they could be allowed. They were camped outside the city. It was the establishment, the ruling class, the more wealthy people, the people who liked their comfortable lifestyles. They were the ones who were primarily in the city. So if this trial could take place very early without the knowledge of all those people in the outlying campgrounds. They didn't need to know. The people who would show up, the crowd that would gather, would be the crowd of people who were partial to the religious elites, who understood their position, who were amenable to their will and their wishes. All of those realities swirl in our heads as we linger outside the cell of Barabbas. It's early morning. Last week when we left Jesus, he was entering Pilate's judgment hall. This week, as we pick up the story, he is standing before Pilate. Beaten, bruised, bloodied, bound. I want you to listen to the account from Matthew, Matthew's Gospel, chapter 27, beginning in verse 11. Here's what Matthew writes. Meanwhile, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. The New American Standard Bible renders that. It is as you say. When he was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate asked him, Don't you hear the testimony they are bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner. Some versions render that a notorious prisoner named, whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they had handed Jesus over to him. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message, Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I have suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah, Pilate asked. They all answered, Crucify him. 
Why? What crime has he committed? asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and washed his hands in front of the crowd. I'm innocent of this man's blood, he said. It is your responsibility. All the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Then he released Barabbas to them. But Jesus he had flogged and handed him over to be crucified. Now you no doubt noticed in verses 16 and 17, that, that Pilate calls him Jesus Barabbas. Now, some versions that you will read, maybe the one from which you are reading, has Jesus as a footnote, a margin reading. It says it doesn't appear in many of the manuscripts. Version from which I'm reading today, the New International Version, includes it in the text with a footnote to say it doesn't appear in many manuscripts. So what's going on? What happened? Why is it in some old manuscripts and not in others? Was it the work of a hard-hearted scribe with an agenda to include the name Jesus there as a jab? Or was it the word of a kind-hearted scribe with an agenda who removed the name out of respect for Jesus of Nazareth? What's going on here? I read to you the words of the New Testament scholar, Janine K. Brown. Here's what Janine Brown writes. Some manuscripts include the name Jesus before the surname Barabbas. Others do not. Given a clear disposition by Christian scribes copying the New Testament to hold Jesus' name in reverence, it is easy to understand how they might omit that name when used to refer to a criminal. It is less discernible why some scribes might add the name if it was not originally in Matthew. For this reason, it is likely that both prisoners to whom Pilate refers have the name Jesus, a quite common Jewish name in the first century. The choice between the two men named Jesus is set before the people, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus the Messiah. So Pilate asks them, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Christ? Which Jesus do you want? Verse 20 is quite compelling. Because in verse 20, Matthew records that the scribes and the elders, the religious elite, the religious establishment, persuaded the people, persuaded them to ask for Barabbas. Persuaded. You've heard the term, no doubt, emotional contagion. Emotional contagion is the term that sociologists use to refer to the experience, to the phenomena of one person's emotions and the related behaviors to those, to those emotions, particularly, particularly if they are pronounced, actually spreads 
It is contaminates others in the area and others begin to feel the same emotions and manifest the same behaviors. In fact, research indicates that if the emotion is, is profound or strong, that it may take as little as five minutes to infect the entire environment, even if people aren't talking to each other or aren't working together. A woman named Caroline Webb, the author of a book called How to Have a Good Day, in a YouTube interview talks about emotional contagion. She says, I was going into work that day in the city of London. I rode to work on the tube, the subway in London. And I had all the attendant experiences of the subway so that by the time I got to my office, I was in a foul mood, a bad mood. I walked in and started to work, moody. And it wasn't long, she says, before I was approached by a young worker. I was actually the leader of the group of which he was a part. This younger colleague approached me and said to me, Caroline, I know, we know, that we're not responsible for your bad mood. But subconsciously, we don't know that. Your mood is starting to truly affect us. Caroline Webb said, it was a wake-up moment for me. A realization that who I am, how I am, has an effect on all of those around me. Emotional contagion. In fact, there is some research she quotes to say, that when that mood is on the part of the leader or the boss, it's even more powerful. And there we have it. We have Matthew telling us that the religious leaders, the leading priests, the religious establishment persuaded the people to ask for Barabbas. And the people did. Remember our central thought for today. When you allow the mob to decide for you, the mob will always choose Barabbas. Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Christ. Pilate asks the question. Both of them could be called revolutionaries. Both of them could be called warriors who were out to start a new kingdom, to change the realities that existed. They both had messages. They both had weapons. The message of Barabbas was clear, understandable, important to many of the people of his day. Throw off this Roman yoke. Get rid of them. That's the message. The weapons... Violence, bloodshed, overthrow. Jesus Christ. Jesus of Nazareth also had a message and weapons. His message was the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is the most important and the most frequent message on the lips of Jesus. I'm here to establish a kingdom, a kingdom where the will of God will be carried out. In fact, in the central prayer that Jesus taught to his disciples is embedded the plea, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth 
as it is in heaven. He's here to establish a kingdom where the will of God is done. What is that will? It's a kingdom into which all are invited. It's a kingdom that clothes the naked, heals the sick, releases the prisoners, declares sight to the eyes of the blind. It's a kingdom that feeds the hungry. It's a kingdom that says all are welcome and have equal dignity, will be treated equally in the kingdom of God. There is no hierarchy, no one preferred over another. That's the kingdom I have come to establish. It is a kingdom where God's will will be carried out, where lives will be transformed, where people will live by an elevated ethic, the ethic of Jesus. That's his message. And his weapons? Oh, he has weapons. He has the weapons of love for your enemies. Forgiveness for those who have wronged you. Grace to those who don't deserve it. He has weapons, all right. Weapons where we don't overcome evil with evil, but we overcome evil with good. Here is what is stunning. The leaders of Jesus' day, and ultimately the Romans, the civil authorities of Jesus' day, rubber-stamped it, saw Jesus Christ with his message and his methods as a greater threat than Jesus Barabbas, with his message of overthrow and his weapons of violence. Jesus Christ, a greater threat than Jesus Barabbas. Now you will say to me, well, of course he was a greater threat. He was so popular with the people. True, I'll grant you that. But so too would have been Barabbas. And furthermore, Jesus and the ethic he was teaching would have created the potential for reconciliation. And yet he was viewed as more dangerous than Barabbas. Jesus Barabbas, shed the blood of your enemies. Jesus Christ, I will shed my blood for my enemies. Jesus Barabbas, change your government. Jesus Christ, change your heart. Jesus, Barabbas, kill your enemies. Jesus Christ, pray for your enemies. Jesus, Barabbas, we will seize control. Jesus Christ, I will surrender control. And they viewed Jesus Christ as a greater threat. Remember our central thought today. If the mob decides for you, the mob will always choose Barabbas. It's more powerful. It's more vindictive. It's more control. And Pilate has to decide. Unfortunately for Pilate, Pilate is a man with a wishbone instead of a backbone. 
And so Pilate has the mob decide. Remember, if you let the mob decide for you, the mob will always choose Barabbas. And that was their choice that day. On that long ago fateful day, when the gauntlet was thrown down, when the choice was made clear, when the verdict was required, they said, we choose the way of Jesus Barabbas. That way is too dangerous. I guess we have to ask, to what is it so dangerous? If it's not dangerous to human pride, human will, my own demanded rights, the preacher and writer Max Lucado writes some words about Barabbas. He writes them from the perspective of Barabbas. I want you to listen to what Lucado writes. Every ship that lands at the shore of grace weighs anchor from the port of sin. We must start where God starts. We won't appreciate what grace does until we understand who we are. We are rebels. We are Barabbas. Like him, we deserve to die. Four prison walls thickened with fear, hurt, and hate surround us. We are incarcerated by our past, our low road choices, our high-minded pride. We have been found guilty. We sit on the floor of the dusty cell, awaiting the final moment, the executioner's footsteps echo against stone walls, head between knees. We don't look up as he opens the door. We don't lift our eyes as he begins to speak. We know what he is going to say. Time to pay for your sins. But then, we hear something else. You're free to go. They took Jesus instead of you. The door swings open. The guard barks, get out. And we find ourselves in the light of the morning sun. Shackles gone. Crimes pardoned. Wondering, what just happened. <laughs> Grace happened. That's the way of Jesus. The way where people, because of grace, don't get what they deserve. And those people for us. And then we are called to extend it to others. That's the kingdom of God. That's the message of Jesus. 
and grace and love are his method. And so Pilate asks you. He presses home his penetrating, piercing, probing query to you. Jesus Barabbas or Jesus Christ? Don't forget, if you let the mob decide for you, the mob will always choose Barabbas. So, you make the choice. Which Jesus will it be?